this is Ann Robertson, the pastor of the United Methodist Church of Westford in Westford, Massachusetts. This is the sermon from January 28th. I'm sorry it's taken me a day to get it up, but it seems like the recorder that we used to record the sermon decided to follow the sermon's example and just start setting sail, and it was lost for a while, but now it's found. I don't know if it was blind and now it sees, but it was lost and now is found, and I'm able to put it up. The title of the sermon is Booking Passage. You'll hear the Gospel reading, which is Jesus stilling the storm. The Old Testament reading that came before was the passage about Jonah, where Jonah was also asleep on a ship in a storm. So, uh, anyway, those are the two stories that it's based on. The setting for this sermon is the fact that I have just announced that I'm going to be leaving the church here in Westford in order to take a position as the executive director of the Massachusetts Bible Society, which is based in Boston, right in downtown. I'm going to be starting that right after Easter. Easter Sunday is going to be my last Sunday here at the church. I hope to keep up with the podcasting. I'm certainly going to continue to podcast my Spirit Walkers devotion, and I'm still going to be preaching in local churches. It's just not going to be the same local church every week. So I hope that this will be able to continue in my new position. But they've just heard that news across the last week as they've gotten a letter, and so that's why The sermon has the shape that it does, and you'll hear reference to that in the course of the sermon. Please remain standing for the reading of the Gospel, which comes from the Gospel of Matthew in the 8th chapter, verses 23 through 27. And when Jesus got into the boat, his disciples followed him. A windstorm arose on the sea, so great that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But he was asleep. And they went and woke him up, saying, Lord, save us, we're perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, you of little faith? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was dead calm. They were amazed, saying, What sort of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Back in my college days, I was really into Scandinavia and all things Norse, Norse mythology, all that good stuff. And I did a paper on the practice that the Norse had of burying people in ships, or at least in graves that were shaped like ships. And in the course of doing that research, I discovered how much of Christian tradition and architecture is linked to the ship. Medieval cathedrals were built to be sort of upside-down ships where they come together at the top. The pews were the benches for the oarsmen, which is why you usually have windows at the ends of the pews so you can stick the oars out and go. The center of the church called the nave. It's worked into to everything. Uh, for well over a 1,000 years, the church has been seen as a ship piloted by Christ, taking us into uncharted waters. You can see the visible reminders of that in many Lutheran churches, especially in Scandinavia, where many churches actually have a ship hanging from the ceiling over the altar as that reminder of the ship that we're on and the one who pilots us. We have many newer forms of transportation today. 
But I think that the sailing ship on the high seas still evokes the best image of the Christian journey. Trains are kind of too fast and direct. Airplanes are too removed from what happens beneath them. And cars are too passive, relying solely on the driver. Moving a ship takes an entire crew, and those aboard have to learn how to work with the wind and the water. They have to bravely face the storms, know when to jettison cargo, and know that their very lives depend on each of them fulfilling their part of the whole. There are a number of stories in the Bible about ships. First one, I think, is Noah's Ark, going all the way through to the missionary journeys of Paul. And not one of those stories was a luxury cruise around the harbor. They encountered tempests and storms and difficulties. And what I found when I looked at all of them was that whether or not the ship weathered the storm had everything to do with whether the ship was following the will of God. The two stories that I picked for this morning show that. Jonah boards a ship that's headed for Tarshish. Now, there was nothing wrong with the city of Tarshish, nice place. But the trouble is, God had already told Jonah to go someplace else, and Tarshish was in the exact opposite direction. Jonah is getting on a ship to run away, to hide, to try to avoid the will of God. As a result, a storm comes up that threatens the lives of everyone aboard. Jonah's sleeping. They wake him up but he can't do anything about it. The only way to still the storm and save the crew is to toss off the one who's running from God. Jonah's found out, and over he goes. Of course, that's just the beginning of the story. We know that God wants Jonah's obedience and not his death, and the rest of the book tells how that happens with the whale and all of that stuff. But the point is for this, that getting on a ship going one way when God has told you to go another way threatens everybody and only gets you thrown overboard. Now, the opposite is true in the story of the disciples in the boat with Jesus. In their case, also, a storm comes up and the disciples fear for their lives. And you again have somebody asleep in the boat. And they're pretty ticked off at Jesus for napping while all of this is going on. When they wake Jesus up and insist that he do something about their plight, he chides them for not having faith. If Jesus is in the boat with them, they are all within the will of God, and no storm can beat them. With just a word from Jesus, all is still and all is safe. The biblical stories make plain that just the fact of being on a ship is no guarantee of anything. What makes the difference in the success of the voyage is the degree to which the destination is in line with God's will. It doesn't matter how well the, the ship is constructed or whether the same commanding officer is in charge from beginning to end. There was once a ship that claimed it was stronger than the power of the sea, that nothing could sink it, and it set out to go where it pleased for the pleasure of its passengers was named the Titanic. 
There was another ship that never claimed to be invincible. Most of us would not sail any great distance with it today. It charted a course that required as much faith as it did skill to a destination that was full of hope and promise, but was unseen and unknown by the passengers. It sailed not for pleasure, but for a purpose that its 102 passengers believed was in line with the will of God. That ship was named the Mayflower. It wasn't easy for the Mayflower to get started on its journey to the New World. Twice it set sail and had to turn back to port. And finally, after a month of delays, she pulled up her anchor and headed for the open seas. It was not an easy journey. They had to repair the ship as she sailed, including when the main beam buckled halfway across the ocean. There were differences of opinion about whether they could do it or not. William Bradford reports in his History of Plymouth Plantation, truly there was great distraction and difference of opinion among the mariners themselves. Fain would they do what could be done for their wages' sake, being now half the seas over. And on the other hand, they were loath to hazard their lives too desperately. In the end, however, Bradford reports, so they committed themselves to the will of God and resolved to proceed. And the rest is, quite literally, history. What I'm trying to say in all of this is that as we chart the course for this church over the coming weeks and months, we need to be sure that we're booking passage on the right ship. The invincible luxury liner with all the comforts of home certainly has its appeal, but that story doesn't end well. The ship to Tarshish might promise a pleasant destination, but it isn't the direction that God is pointing. Captain John Smith described the Mayflower as a leaking, unwholesome ship. Yet because the Puritans resolved to commit themselves to the will of God, no American child gets through school without knowing its name. The little boat on the stormy sea of Galilee is overcrowded, not well-equipped for storms. But Jesus is in the boat. The boat is no match for the storm, but the storm is no match for the Son of God. When we pray and seek the direction of God, even the most unlikely of ships can be the one that history writes about. When we become more concerned about the purpose God has for us than we are about our own comfort and safety. Miracles occur. Jesus said that those who seek to save their lives will lose them. Book on the luxury liner and you're going down. But leave your nets and follow Jesus into the little wooden boat and soon you'll find yourself spreading across the world to save it. Those are the choices that we all have every single day. It's a choice we make corporately as we decide what to do as a church. It's a choice we make individually every morning when we get up. Will we take the easiest road or will we strengthen our muscles with some exercise? Now, I want to be careful here. The message of being willing to follow Christ down a difficult road is one that I accepted very, very early in my life. In fact, I took it so to heart that when God offered 
rest and joy in the journey along the way, I turned it down, figuring that couldn't be what God wanted. The way of the cross was so ingrained in me that I thought following Jesus only meant to suck it up and go into the snake-infested swamp, be miserable for all of my life to earn my eternal reward. But that isn't how Christian life has turned out as I've lived it more. At the beginning, there is a time of decision when we talk about the death of self. That's not an encouragement to suicide, far from it. But it is the call to take our own desires and need for control off the throne of our lives and to allow God to take that rightful place. It's obedience to the first of the Ten Commandments. Don't put anything else, including yourself, including your church, before God. Now that takes a huge amount of courage, and it runs counter to everything that the world tells us is smart and practical. And the more we have had ourselves as our top priority and authority, the more losing that does feel like death. That's the price of the ticket to board God's vessel. But it's not the destination of the ship. After I gave over my own desires to God, I found that bit by bit they were given back. Only when I got them back, they weren't just desires and dreams anymore. They were infused with a calling and a purpose. When I gave to God everything I loved, God put it all together as a direction for my life and then gave it back. It was as wonderful as it was before I had given it up. But now it was attached to a purpose that enabled me to chart the course and head for the open sea. That's what God asks of this church, to make the difficult choice and to give control of what happens into God's hands. It's not so much that we need to get together and decide where we want to go and how we want to get there. It's that we need to find out what boat Jesus is already in and pile in there with him. We need to choose our ship based on the purpose for which it sails and not on the comfort of the cabins. When this church does that, when making disciples becomes more important than making money, when we would rather be a church that meets in a parking lot with Jesus than a church that meets in a sanctuary with Brahms, the earth will shift under the homes of Westford and the spirit of God will blow through every door in this town. And in my experience, once we're truly willing to give it up, we'll get it back. Transformed filled with purpose and powered by the breath of God. The ships are lined up in the harbor, and each one is booking passengers. There's the luxury liner that claims it can never sink. There's a ship heading out quickly under the cover of darkness to the port of denial. There's a large creaking ship with a crew of pilgrim passengers who are willing to risk the journey simply because a man named Jesus has asked them to go and has said he's willing to sail with them. 
The cost seems quite high for such a vessel, uncomfortable cabins. Yet no one getting on board seems to be giving it a second thought. Their eyes are filled with a vision of new life in a new world, and they take no thought for all that they're leaving behind. Yeah, you'd like a ticket? And on which ship will you be booking passage this morning? Amen. Thanks for subscribing to Spirit Walker Sermons. If you're ever in the area, stop in for worship at 9.30 a.m. on Sunday mornings at 10 Church Street in Westford, Massachusetts. Love to have you stop by my website at www.annrobertson.com, where you can also subscribe to a weekly devotion, which you can receive either as an email or a podcast. I'd love to hear from you via email at ann at annrobertson.com. Thanks again for subscribing, and I hope your week is filled with God's blessings. Oh,